Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFeed podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hello, and welcome to another Software Deep Dive, where we interview the author of a bioinformatics software package, and today we're having a chat about some of the software we've created ourselves, because behind all of our software are quirky details that never make it into the final paper. So today, Andrew is in the hot seat with Rory. So to kick things off, Andrew, what is the problem that Rory is trying to solve? So Rory just solves the problem of creating pangenomes for bacteria it's a really simple problem, but uh, when Rory came out and when it was developed, it was a really difficult problem to do at scale. You know, people were doing pangenomes. Actually, maybe I'll start with what a pangenome is. So if you sequence a lot of bacteria, you do assemblies, you're going to get differences between those assemblies. And it might be mobile genetic elements or other random things, like, uh, like you might have plasmids, phage, um, integrons, this kind of thing. And... This is fine if, if, you're, if you just want to build, I don't know, a nice little tree, you might go and map everything back to a reference. But if you want to look at all this variation in the accessory genome, which is everything that's not in the core conserved um, part of the genome, then you need some way of interrogating it and seeing what's in common in these strains and what's different and, and that kind of thing. And then also people want to know what genes are actually in every genome in their set or, or nearly in every genome. And those are your kind of core conserved things which actually define what this set of bacteria is. You know, what makes a salmonella an actual salmonella? You know, it's probably this collection of 2000 genes or 3000 genes that really define it, how it works, how it operates, how it lives and dies. Whereas there can be a flow of other things coming in and out that maybe help it to survive in different environments, but you know, they're not universally required. It came about because within the Sanger Institute, they were struggling because they had these huge big sample collections, but they weren't able to actually pull out this information about the, the pangenomes very easily. What, you know, what is accessory, what is core? And they're using tools like PanOCT and LSBSR and get homologs, this kind of thing. So another member of my group started off going and looking at ortho-MCL and seeing could he actually modify that. And now if you've ever used OrthoMCL, you realize that it's probably not the easiest software in the world to use, particularly when they moved to more recent versions using MySQL database. And it just created this whole nightmare of, uh, of complexity. And doing something quite simple became quite difficult. It's fine for maybe eukaryotes where you've only a small number of samples, but when you actually have a huge data sets like with bacteria, it becomes a huge problem very quickly. And we looked back in the literature and found that, well, people weren't really building pangenomes bigger than maybe, you know, 80 or 100 bacteria, which is quite small. So we set about trying to build something 
that could actually scale to thousands or tens of thousands of bacterial genomes. So we can do these much larger projects. And that's kind of how Rory came about. Originally, it just had the, uh, the ominous name of the pan-genome pipeline internally. And the scripts were just called pan-genome, you know, create pan-genome, that kind of thing. So not, not very well named, but, it, you know, it got through the kind of early stages. How did you switch to Rory then? Because when we started opening it up, we realized we needed a better name than just the pan-genome pipeline. So I had to make up a name. And the name I, I made up was uh, Rory. So like Rory the Racing Car, which is a, a kids TV program in the UK. And uh, it's in Australia as well. Yeah, it kind of stuck. But really, uh, my son is actually named Rory, spelled slightly differently. So that, that's kind of where the name came from as well. Might as well, you know, choose something a bit obscure that isn't currently used in software and then, then use it, you know, because then people can look it up easily. They can type, you know, condensed Rory, that kind of thing, and, uh, and get it quite quick. I do remember one time, maybe last year or the year before, and you showed me a, a picture of your son and you said, this is the original Rory. So I, I think I know who it's really named after. It's a good name, you know, it's a good Irish-Scottish name, and it's, it's quite common uh, in those countries. One more question about the name, though. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. We're all at home, right? And yeah. is he, like, in the next room, and you're saying his name a lot? Is he kind of perking up, you think? Uh, he's actually downstairs sick today, so, yeah, he's probably listening in. <laughs> How does he feel about having such a prominent software named after him? Well, I don't know. I think he's too young to actually understand, you know, that uh, he's got a famous name. But maybe in the future he'll, he'll uh, come to the dark side and uh, work in infectious diseases and bioinformatics, you know, and, but you never know. So did you choose that spelling? I guess I have one more question. <laughs> yeah. Did you choose the spelling because I don't know anything about Rory the Racing Car. I've never seen it before. Is, is that kind of an homage to the speed or is there some other uh, meaning behind it? No, there's no other meaning. It was just son's name spelled slightly differently. <laughs> okay. Racing, racing cars go fast. Yeah. And also racing cars go fast, you know. Yeah. You know, It sounded nice. <laughs> it, it was unique. So, you know, that, that's the main thing. It was a unique namespace. Okay, we can move on. I can stop riffing on, on the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. thanks. Well, I mean, when, 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 did, when did the development actually start? Uh, you're talking about 100 you know, large data sets of 100 genomes. I mean, that must have been a while ago. Yeah, so this started off like maybe 2013. So a fair while ago. And I think it was only published in 2015. And actually, it was only published as a two-page uh, bioinformatics application note. So actually very, very short. But I think the supplementary material was like 30 pages long, as you do. And it, it was grand. Like uh, people, main thing about it was that internally within the Sanger Institute, people were using it in the group. So it was, you know, we're eating our own dog food and it got some great feedback very rapidly, you know, what people actually need, what they don't need. And so it had some extra quirks originally. So for example, it could scale massively on a HBC cluster. So the way the program is actually structured is a collection of scripts which kind of call each other and then there is like job runners which run those particular jobs and that's designed so that you can scale it out massively but actually after a while I figured out that no one really did it that way they basically said I have you know 64 treads please run this on one machine with 64 
CPUs and that's how they ran it. They weren't using the, the power, the awesome power of HPC where it could scale to thousands of uh, simultaneous jobs in parallel. So basically that, that, that whole functionality is still there, but it's kind of hidden away and no longer advertised, but I think it's the best part. I spent a lot of time trying to get that to work. Wait, I, I had no idea about this. So is that available? Yeah. Is that like a secret thing that we can get to? It only works for LSF, which is what uh, the cluster at the time used. But yeah, you, you can actually use it. But you don't really need to, to be quite frank, you know, because it's quite fast. One of the big speed improvements actually that I think is really awesome is using CD hit to pre-cluster all the data. Because fundamentally, this method and probably most methods, they just do an all against all blasts of genes, right? So not mm-hmm. too fancy. But if you pre-cluster all the genes first, you massively shrink down the amount of, uh, of comparisons you need to do. So that massively, massively speeds it up. And it scales as well, because if you're comparing one species of bacteria, there's only so many genes, unique genes that are going to be in there, you know, unless you've contamination, of course. But uh, there's only so many unique genes. So as you add more, and if you're continually clustering, it, it's, gonna, it's not going to increase that much. It's going to increase linearly rather than this massive N by N comparisons. So that improvement came from a guy, I think, called Farouz Yeltsin, who was actually trying to use it to speed up ortho MCL. He quickly abandoned that project, though, when he realized it was just uh, difficult. What was the, the most interesting feature that was requested at Sanger to put into that, that maybe something unexpected? So there were a lot of features requested and, you know, most of them were put in, but actually I tried to integrate a lot of stuff that Torsten had, um, had told me about, you know, so I made sure that Rory took Torsten's Procker tool as input and only Torsten Procker tool because, you know, trying to take in generic GFF files or generic annotation files is a, a royal pain, right? So I focused just on, the one annotation tool that's really easy to use, which is Proca. And that's the only one that I wanted to take in. It worked really well and everything gets processed really easily. That solved a lot of problems getting data in. But of course, you know, people then go and download data randomly from GenBank or uh, from Emble. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I threw all of these different genomes in and uh, I'm getting really weird results. I randomly downloaded them from the internet. Well, actually, the reason is that they're all probably annotated with different tools, different gene predictors. They kind of slightly call genes slightly differently and that messes things up, you know? If you're going to analyze a set of bacteria, you really need to do everything upfront the same and then analyze them in one go the same. You can't just randomly throw things together. Yeah, there's a, there's a slight tragedy in that, that for a lot of data sets, for the kind of analysis we do at scale, it's more important that it's consistent rather than having sort of nuance or accuracy involved. So yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of painstakingly good detailed GenBank annotation that gets scrubbed off and thrown away. And just, you just use the generic one that's generated via RefSec or you use it or you use the automated one generated by Proca, which both are, you know, good jobs and they're consistent, which is what's important. But yeah, there's a lot of secret information that's just disappears along the way but then i don't know nobody finishes genomes anymore do they why would you want to when you can uh, do nanopore sequencing and then just get complete genomes you know or lots of them in one little experiment so what are the unique selling points of rory it is that it is very fast 
uh, it's very conservative memory. So it doesn't scale exponentially, it scales linearly. And it's been used in anger quite a lot for huge data sets. So I know people have used it for like 20,000 genomes and it's worked. It, oh, another big selling point is that it's packaged up for a lot of different systems. So it's on Debian, so on Ubuntu, you can just type apt-get-rory or you can go to Homebrew or to uh, Conda. You know, it's just, it's widely available and quite easy now to install. It wasn't always easy to install, you know, originally, but now it is. Also, it's written in the best language in the world called Perl. And it's actually, I find it's, it's well-engineered. So it's uh, written with Moose. So it's got tests and it's got like lots and lots of automated unit tests. It's got a, you know, it's structured nicely. So anyone can pick it up and, and probably read and work at what it does. Um, if you happen to know Perl, which is the best language in the world. I love hearing you say that. <laughs> so wait, you actually um, switched. This is, this is a, an aside, I guess. Just, but just because you invoked Perl, it is the best language. You still like that even though you've moved on? No, I think maybe my heart is there because I worked in Perl for, for a fair while. So I know GemFHG, I did all like Java and, and MATLAB and stuff like that. Then I moved on to Ruby and Rails for about a year or two and then into Perl. And it's like, oh yeah, Perl, or it was really getting back to Perl. And Perl's lovely, you know, I did lots and lots of years in that. And now, you know, I've moved on to Python. Python has its own pros and cons. But, you know, my first love, you know, proper love is, is Perl. Yeah, is Python really that lovable? It's a bit, bit generic, isn't it? It doesn't have these funny idiosyncrasies that other languages have. It's quite pretty and it, and it works, you know. Apart from the indenting, what, I, what really <laughs> gets me is, you know, when you have tabs and spaces and you mix them accidentally. It's like, oh, yeah. In terms of how it's uh, documented... The one thing that people keep coming back to is uh, the FAQ, and it seems to be quite a popular thing. But anytime I got um, an unusual request or a request for support, I would make sure to update the uh, FAQ when I was developing it. And there's a lot of random stuff in there, like um, someone was trying to run the Perl scripts with Python. Didn't work, obviously. People often, you know, just throw in random genomes and then expect it to work, or they don't read the documentation, or they they want you to go and analyze their data, whole range of things. So check out the uh, the FAQ. It's a barrel of laughs. Yeah, I like. There's some nice questions. Like I haven't done any QC on my sequencing data, and the pan genome looks very strange. Answer: Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> that is pretty much most common support request usually by people who have been, you know, been handed a, a set of data. They're not bioinformaticians. They don't know how to analyze it, but their their boss wants a pretty tree or their boss wants the pretty results for nature papers. And they they just don't want to learn the complexity of our fields. When actually, you know, you, you kind of have to. Like I can't walk into a, a pathogen lab and start sloshing around chemicals without knowing what I'm doing, you know? I will be shot by health and safety. So it really comes down to you have to know what you're doing. And I would expect people to have a baseline knowledge and not just try and randomly run pieces of complex analytical software because they won't be able to interpret the results properly. No, and there's actually some really intelligent uh, FAQ questions as well, which explain some really simple basic theory stuff as well. Things like what there's some very long branches in my tree. What should I do? Or uh, 
there's there's one here that says something. Why is there a sudden increase in core genome size every hundred genomes? So yeah, yeah that, we, that's basic mathematics. Unfortunately, that's another common question, and it's because a feature people wanted was, I want to be able to say this is a core gene, even if it's only present in ninety nine percent of my genomes. Well, of, you know that means that you're going to get these steps every now and again due to simple rounding of whole numbers, unfortunately. Yeah. Or you could just say, I want a the cord only to be made up of genes which are in everything, but the problem is that assemblers don't necessarily assemble everything and you get random contact breaks. So you have to allow a little bit of fuzziness. Can you analyze my data for me? <laughs> sure. I, pay me a lot of money and I'll do it. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's some, there's some funny questions in the FAQs and and actually quite a few really intelligent, uh, thoughtful ones in the FAQs as well. So definitely worth a read if, if anyone listening is interested. Bioinformatics ASMR. <laughs> Don't laugh, we should do it. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Bioinformatics ASMR, what on earth is that going to be like? <laughs> Stroke my genomes. <laughs> I, made, I made a 10-second video of it one time. It was, it's hilarious. I'll, set, I'll put it on YouTube. <laughs> so... It's been widely used in the community for a huge range of things. And I'm quite surprised actually how far the software has gone. It's got way over a thousand citations so far. And it seems people are using it like all over the world. I've gone to random conferences and people have been using it. So that's kind of cool. And it's used in a lot of public health labs as well, just for doing quick core genome analyses and that kind of thing. And as part of pipelines. So it's nice to see the software being used. I haven't done updates on it for donkey's years because you know i've moved on you don't get publications based on the stuff you did five years ago and uh obviously that was in a previous job so you have to continually move on publishing stuff publishing tools and sometimes just leave the other ones to to survive on their own but it is on github so if anyone wants to make changes or additions they're more than welcome to and you know i can merge those in yeah, there there are a few programs out there now, like in the past five years since it's been published, lots of other new programs come along. In fact, there seemed to be, you know, one a month coming out. So, which is quite good. Things like Pop Punk and, oh, what, Panaroo, I think is a new one as well. There, There's loads. And I'd say if Rory doesn't suit you, then check those ones out. Well, they, they all benchmark in Rory, so they do say they're faster or better in different ways. So if Rory doesn't suit your needs, check them out. Are we going to do anything with SCORI yet? Or is that another time? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about SCORI. Yeah. That's a great way of um, doing further analyses, like statistical analysis on your output. And yeah, that's a fantastic piece of software. I'd say check that out. So basically, you can put in like, these are your cases, these are your controls within Rory, and then it'll kind of do this magic and pull out a million different stats for you. And yeah, so Scory is definitely one to use in conjunction with Rory. Do you know who's wrote Scory? Oh, is a guy in Norway. I have to look. Hola, yeah, Brindisland. I would say check it out because it's a fantastic piece of software. Can I do a bonus question for the premium users? What's the strangest use of Rory you've seen, or what's the most unusual, most notable one? My God, honestly, I don't know. I mean. People have tried to build like pan genomes of everything gram negative and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you're not going to find much in there. Well, in 60 fact, that's, 
Well, that's one of the most common ways of seeing um, if people haven't QC'd their data. You know, if they come back and they say, oh, I've only got 150 core genes. And it's like, well, you probably just tried to create a pan-genome of everything in, you know, gram negatives or gram positives or whatever. And you probably have contamination in there. Contamination is quite easy to spot, actually, in Rory. And I use it as a, a quick check as well all the time. And yeah, I don't know. People don't do the basics. They kind of skip over it. They think, ah, sure, I'll just try all these methods blindly, see what comes out. But number one always is QC. QC your data, please. Good point. All right, awesome. So thanks for the great discussion. We This was just a quick chat about some of the software we've created ourselves. And there's always some interesting facts about these different tools that came into being. And yeah, today we've been talking about Rory which allows you to do pan, generate pan genomes. And you can check it up on GitHub. There's the paper out in bioinformatics. So yeah, follow up with that. Read the FAQs. And that's all the time we have for this episode. See you next time. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrant Institute.